Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. There's a Dr. J.R.R. Tolkien waiting to see you, Mr. Wolf. Send him in. Is that you, J.R., you old dwarf groper? How's it going? Well, it, it, it's fine, Mr. Wolf. Yes, yes, it's fine. But I, I did have one or two teeny-weeny questions about the changes you're making to my book. Right, your book. Gone with the Ring, or whatever it's called. Lord of the Rings. I, I, I cannot help but notice, sir, that many, many cuts have been... J.R., I'm going to stop you right there and tell you something I once told to Melville. Hermie, I said, the whole story is, crazy guy chases white whale, whale gets him. <laughs> Lydia, how many words is that? Eight words. And how many words in Hermes' damn book? 209,117, Mr. Wolf. Thanks, honey. Now, JR, here's what I said to El Hermano. If I could do your whole book in eight words, what are all those 209,000 words? What in the hell are they doing in there? He didn't listen. Died a nobody. Is that true? I don't know, but it's five words. You get my meaning? I, I'm not sure I do, Mr. Wolf. Your book is Short Guy and Wizard Destroy Evil Ring. <laughs> Lydia, how many words is that? Seven. Seven words. Short guy and wizard destroy evil ring. Boom, we're done. Let's go get a cronut. People like fast. JR, they love it. The world is addicted to speed. They're not going to sit there for pages and pages while you describe a certain kind of grass and a certain kind of hill next to a certain kind of river and a place that never existed in the first place. Short guy and wizard destroy evil ring. Now you say it. Short guy and wizard destroy evil ring. Mr. Wolf, but... It's just that the elves... No, no elves. 86 the elves. Look, J.R., I gotta wrap this up. I got another author coming in here. Here's his book. White guy and black guy float down river on a raft. Lydia? Eleven words, Mr. Wolf. Eleven words. This guy is killing me. I'm gonna tell him this fella, Tolkien, gets by on seven words. Why do you need eleven? Cut the fat out of your damn book. I think I should leave now. I think I should leave now. Is that the sequel? That's one hell of a book. Six words. Make another appointment and listen to the show, J.R. It's about micro-literature. And now meet the creator of Hike. That's four-syllable haiku. Colin McEnroe. Yeah, with Hike, we don't even really feel like we need those extra syllables. Uh, they pretty much go to waste. So with Hike, it's just four. Don't need to do haiku. Yes, we're going to be talking about uh, very short forms of literature today. There's a lot of very long forms of literature, but there are also some very fascinating experiments going on with forms right now. They're beyond experiments that are well established as what they are. Let me tell you who's on the show today in studio with me right now. Tom Hazuka, he teaches fiction writing at Central Connecticut State University. He's the editor of Flash Fiction Funny, 82 very short humorous stories. Uh, in the next segment also, you're going to hear Paul Beckman, uh, award-winning flash fiction writer and teacher from Madison, Connecticut. His most recent collection of stories is called Peak, and it's out now. Uh, in this segment, you'll hear Ben White. He's the creator and editor of Nanoism, a Twitter fiction magazine on the web at nanoism.net. Uh, and a little bit later, you'll hear Rachel Fershleiser. Uh, she's the co-creator of the Six Word Memoir Projects uh, and co-editor of Not Quite What I Was Planning, Six Word Memoirs uh, by Writers Famous and Obscure. And towards the end of the show, you're going to hear Meg Pokris. She is a flash fiction author and competition judge. Her newest collection, The Dog Looks Happy Upside Down, is out in June. So, um, Tom, uh, before we go uh, over to Ben and find out the specifics of what he's doing, um, you have piled all around me here in this small studio lots and lots of anthologies and journals and stuff like that. And uh, these are all various forms of fiction with various uh, strict word limits. Uh, run me through some of these word limits, like how, how short how, – there's flash fiction, there's short short stories, there's – what is this called? Blink ink? Uh, <laughs> yeah, g give me a sense of what the various word limits are. Well, Blink Ink, well, well, I'm sorry, Blink Ink has 50 words counting the title, but I shouldn't start there. I should start with 
I should start with a plug. Okay. My newest uh, collection that doesn't have a publisher yet, publishers listening, it's uh, High on Honey or Short on Sugar, 7 to 13 word love stories. All right. And then we've got Hint Fiction here, that's 25, 25. word stories. And then we move up to the Blinking Ink, that's 50 words. And then there are what other ones that are 100 We've got yeah. Micro Fiction here, yeah. going for 250. 250 we've words. got Flash Fiction with a limit of 750. Mm. And we've got Sudden Fiction topping out at 1500 Okay, so those aren't prices. Those are word limits. It's the number of words that can be in the story. So what's going on here? Is it like haiku that the economy of words is, in fact, creating a certain kind of squeezed aesthetic? Or is this kind of a, a reaction to other stuff going on in the culture? Is, do you have an operant theory about why this is happening? Well, it's nowhere near like haiku because haiku is much more restrictive mm-hmm. um, in the sense that, it, for the most part, you've got a structure that you have to follow. And for the most part, with flash fiction, at the at the most, you will have a, a word limit. The craziest ones—that uh, sounded judgmental, didn't it? The um, the most restrictive ones—that also sounded judgmental—are the ones that say you have to have exactly 100 words, as mm. with 100 word story, which is a wonderful um, website. But it's um, it's a real challenge. Um, Normally, it's just the word count, and what does it mean? Is it? Well, let me start by saying what it isn't. The folks, I'm going to be on the soapbox just for five seconds here. Sure, the folks that's all say, you get in a flash fiction yeah, show is yeah, five seconds. Five seconds to be on the soapbox. That hey, flash fiction is for dummies who can't read anything longer. Mm. All right, I guess that just discounts about ninety nine point nine percent of all poems. Right. Well, they're short, so they're only for morons. Um, I don't remember if I answered your question, but, no, but I, you, once I got on my soapbox... We just, want to, we just want to be clear. He's exploding certain notions by saying that as opposed to affirming those particular ideas. So, yeah, that's, that somehow or other, that these activated a part of the reader's intelligence that, that will gravitate towards and be moved by the economy and compactness uh, of these stories. Uh, without doubt. And just as with the poem, they can be apprehended... Um, of a piece all at once when the original um, I mean this phenomenon as far as I'm aware began in the mid 80s in Utah in Salt Lake City with the uh, the first anthology that was called Sudden Fiction Mm. and I was only a tangential part of it Um, but um, there's a number of what now would be called flat fiction pieces in Sudden Fiction very short ones after the fact um, that came out in 85 or 6 by 92 when flash fiction came out they sort of became codified okay at least in our minds, the sudden fiction will be 1,500 and the flash fiction will be 750 max. Um, other magazines and will say it's 1,000, others will say it's 500, but um, let's just say flash fiction can't go over a grand. All right, so let's bring uh, another concept into this, and Ben White is joining us, as I said, creator and editor of Nanoism, a Twitter fiction magazine. It's on the web of nanoism.net. Because one thing that we know is that, I mean, there there may be a whole bunch of different reasons why various forms of what we might put under the umbrella of micro-literature, why it might be happening, why it might be flourishing. One of the reasons is simply that there are new digital forms uh, to play around with, and one of them, maybe the most uh, uh, potent of them, uh, is Twitter. Uh, so, Ben White, uh, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. This isn't something you started yesterday. It goes back to 2009. Is that when you got started? That's correct. And and how did you start? Why did you start? You know, so the reason why I started Nanoism was really just an outgrowth of kind of my love and my enjoyment of writing my own Twitter fiction, you know, I started writing it as well in 2009, and I found it so kind of fulfilling as a writer to try to distill stories down to this super digestible hunk. 
and then put it out onto the web for people to read and strangers to retweet and, you know, fave and things like that. But I thought other writers might be, you know, kind of could be convinced to give it a try as well, especially people who may be a little bit more reticent to try to write short, you know, 20, 140 characters is about 25 words or less. It's very, very short. So um, maybe maybe to help the listeners who are having a hard time wrapping their minds around this, read us a, a piece of your Twitter fiction. Just uh, let us hear one. Sure. So this is a relatively recent one I posted on my account, which is called Midnight Stories. And here it goes. He only found out at her funeral when the stranger began to cry and wouldn't stop. And so, that, so that's the story. That's um, the story. That's the whole thing. Yeah. And so, I mean, not for nothing is this in other contexts called hint fiction, right? You're basically inviting the, the reader to fill in the gaps uh, any way exactly. he or she wants to. Yeah, ultimately, you know, so Twitter fiction can be written with titles, without titles. I think the kind of purest form is literally a story that is totally included in a single tweet that is, you know, the most portable, digestible kind of Twitter fiction there could be. And so the whole idea is that whether it's six words or, you know, 20 or as long as it's less than 140 characters, you're going to share that with people right there. And it hits them all at once in a few seconds. So well, right on the website, it says we're not just catering to the 21st century attention span. We're publishing flexible fiction, fiction stories that you can read on your computer or cell phone, stories uh, that fit into the cracks of your day. Um, I'm assuming that's also true for the writers, at least in the sense that as opposed to you know, spending two or three years at the Iowa Writers Workshop and, and, you know, and working kind of in the humanities and trying to have a career as a writer, when you write Twitter fiction, it's something you can do while you're doing other kinds of jobs. Absolutely. And that was the appeal for me for starting out is I actually started writing and publishing Twitter fiction when I was a first year medical student. My schedule was terrible and I was taking lots of tests and it was all very dry and boring and I wasn't feeling creatively fulfilled. And I wanted something I could do on a daily basis that I could fit into my schedule no matter what. And I kind of came to the conclusion that, well, hey, I could do this every day. Uh, and that, that's kind of how it started. And this is the kind of thing where you can, as a writer, you know, fit in some, you know, creative writing and maybe even an entire story while you're sitting in line at the grocery store. You know, times where you otherwise would have just sat there, you know, looking for listicles on BuzzFeed or wasting time being bored. You can use that time proactively to create and not just write a sentence of a story, but write the whole story. Um, and, and did you did you think to do this on your own? Were you aware of other kinds of Twitter fiction, or were there other places where people were working in, in comparable kind of digital forms, writing stories on phones? You know, there, there is some precedent for this. And, you know, one of the reasons why I got into the idea of the Twitter fiction was basically some kind of longitudinal, long-form Twitter fiction people had been writing uh, in 2008. There was basically a, a journal named Matt Richter for the New York Times had written what he called a Twiller, it was like a Twitter thriller. It was basically a short story divided out into, you know, tons of tweets. It was kind of a memento-type plot of, an, of someone with amnesia. It was actually really hard to follow. I didn't really like it. Mm-hmm. But I liked the idea that someone was using Twitter and kind of, you know, taking this medium that was not designed for, you know, creative writing and trying to make it a, a publishing platform, as well as there were people who were basically living out fictional Twitter accounts. So there were people who had created accounts for the Mad Men characters from AMC, mm-hmm. and they were living their lives on Twitter. So they were pretending to be the actual characters, t- you know, tweeting as if they were really the characters from the television show. And so those two things were kind of creative writing on Twitter, and I thought, well, th- that's all well and good, 
but as someone who likes writing flash fiction, I thought, you know, my angle of it was to make it short. And at the time, there was only maybe a handful of people who were actually doing similar things on Twitter. But there was one, actually, Twitter magazine. It's defunct now, but it was called Salmatrope. And they published exclusively genre fictions. They published uh, science fiction, fantasy, and horror. But they published, you know, there was an outbrouching of a web design company. And so they were doing that for a while. And they were actually, as far as I know, the very first kind of true Twitter fiction magazine but they eventually folded, like most things on the internet didn't last forever. Right. So, um, and just to sort of be clear, so there's kind of two ways. I mean, there's more than two ways, but there's basically two ways that you can kind of divide up these uh, efforts on, on Twitter. One is the kind that you're less impressed by, uh, and, and that's where you use Twitter to tell a very long story in, in chunks or to maybe crowdsource a story. And Neil Gaiman did that essentially with Hearts, Keys, and Puppetry. Uh, Jennifer Egan uh, put out a short story, sort of a tweet at a time. Um, and and so there's things like that. But what you're saying is, well, that's just you're basically writing a novel or a short story, but but you know, just leaking it out in in drips and drops on Twitter. You're much more interested in confining it to a tweet. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's the easiest way to actually have it have an impact. You know, if you talk to anybody who actually read Jennifer Egan's story, Black Box, in twenty twelve, no one read it on Twitter as far as I know. Everyone read it on the New Yorker when it came out and was published out as a standalone story. Because trying to follow a serialized story on Twitter is really challenging. There's a ton of noise. And so, you know, and you never see your computer all the time, so you're not going to actually be physically around when the story hits. You kind of have to end up going to the account and scrolling through, and so people kind of read it in patches. And it, so ultimately, it's just difficult to successfully serialize at that level, given the kind of granularity and the, the huge volume of noise that a Twitter feed has for someone who actually likes to use Twitter. So I think... It's not that I'm not impressed by it. It's just challenging. And in most cases, people end up, you know, they're basically exactly, they're writing a story and they're dividing it into chunks. And, some, and I think Jennifer Egan actually wrote it, you know, pro, prospectively in chunks so that it would be tweetable. But even so, she's still telling a, a longer story kind of broken up over time as opposed to trying to get to that ephemeral, you know, rapid, digestible kind of tweet-sized nugget that is what Twitter was actually all about when it was first founded. Well, Ben White, re- read us another piece of your Twitter fiction. Sure. So another one. Um, so again, untitled. None of these have titles. They're just standalone. Mm. She was about to ask him where he'd been all of her life, but then remembered the scars. Which is actually the plot of A Little Life, which is 800 pages long. So, um, <laughs> And some of these end up kind of feeling like synopses. And I think, you know, it's one of those kind of nebulous goals of, of a good, you know, hint fiction or a good Twitter fiction type story is to tell a story that feels complete, that, you know, invites the reader to be an active participant in the interpretation of it without coming off as a joke with a punchline or like a synopsis. So, you know, sometimes they, you know, ultimately, you know, fail on some level. Some of them are more of a kind of a, a punchline and a gag. You know, I think the success of any individual story is going to also depend a lot on who's reading it and if that particular style resonates with them, like any other kind of book. Um, you know, some astronomers uh, tried to calculate uh, what would have happened if Joyce Carol Oates had discovered this form early in her career. They say she would have written 1.25 billion novels uh, by now. Um, so, uh, but that raises the question. Like, I, I looked, uh, I'm looking on your site, and I look at all the contributors, and and so I'm, I start wondering who who are they? And you may not know that much about the people who send in uh, Twitter stories to to Nanoism. Do you know anything about them? I mean, are they 
doing interesting careers and things that have nothing to do with writing? You know, most of them are definitely hobbyist writers. They're people that self-identify as writers who do write, you know, longer stories of, of varying lengths. You know, there are some people who, you know, read a story, you know, see it in their feed and kind of like, oh, it's a fun idea, and they submit. And that's always kind of awesome and fun. And they're definitely also students, so some, some teachers will use this concept as a writing prompt or exercise during class, and every once in a while I'll get like a big bolus of, you know, 30 submissions from a middle school student class or, or high school. But most of them are people who kind of are into the whole Internet indie publishing kind of milieu where they're writing, you know, a flash fiction of more conventional lengths, short stories. I mean, all of them are, are working on novels. So I think, you know, the, the easy narrative is to kind of try to treat this idea of Twitter fiction like it's a kind of a symptom of a disease of our decreasing attention span. But I think ultimately the real narrative is that people are using, you know, Twitter to, uh, you know, subvert the, the platform for creative needs. And so what Twitter fiction ends up being is just an, another adjunctive way to, to write and be creative. Um, I just want to say, if anybody wants to uh, write a piece of Twitter fiction uh, and tweet it at WNPR Colin, where our very literary tweet master, Greg Hill, is waiting for you, uh, we'll, we'll read at least one piece of Twitter fiction on the air by the end of the show, if one arrives. But, Ben, before you go, um, I, I want you to read something by one of your contributors, a piece of Twitter fiction that is not by Ben White. So uh, pick something and share it with us. Absolutely. So this is a story relatively recent by R. Gatwood, who is one of my very favorite um, submitters to, to nanoism. The Tilt-A-Whirl was shut down for repairs, so she didn't get to touch her son that year. Do you know anything about R. Gatwood? You know, so uh, I believe it's a she, <laughs> but no, she's actually one of the people who um, offer, so they submit, you know, third-person bios to be published in a second tweet along with their story. And so I know a lot of details about many of them because either they converse with me via email or their bios are informative, but hers are always very concise. In fact, her most common bio is R. Gatwood is concise. <laughs> I don't know anything about her. She is truly someone who pumps out some of my very favorite stories. I think she really understands the medium in a way that resonates with me. Okay, so it's totally Joyce Carol Oates then. Um, <laughs> that's who it is. She's got time. She could she could write some uh, Twitter fiction for you. Ben White, this stuff is fascinating, uh, and we should say it's at nanoism.net. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. And so, Tom, I'm going to swing it back to you for a second. One of the things that occurs to me as he's talking, you teach creative writing at the college level, but I think for a lot of people, the idea of writing even a short story, like a short story like you, you read, you know, uh, growing up, uh, a Willa Cather short story or something, or a John Cheever short story, seems like kind of a big lift, right? It's, you know, those are usually maybe about 3,000 words so, or longer. Um, one thing about this is it's kind of an on-ramp, right? It seems like something somebody could do. It does seem like something somebody can do, but there's also a lot of there's a major pitfall with a with a really short story. I like to give a a 250 word assignment, mm -hmm. and the usual uh, reaction is, "All right, only 250 words," and then it's unprintable. How do yeah. I make a story happen in only 250 words? And so there's there's some of that, but there's definitely I think it, it's it's not it's not all that. Um, tough to think, you know, at least I can try it. Right. Not, like, oh, I'm going to write a novel or even going to write a 20-page short story. No, no, no. I'm going to, uh, I can at least make something happen at this length. Right. And so w when they hit that 250-word limit and they they can't do it, is it I, it's probably hard to quantify exactly what's going on there, but it just turns out their story was more complicated or they weren't as good at pruning or 
or what? I can completely relate to it because whenever I try to write a 250-word story, like, well, 90% of the time it's going to be 420 yeah. in my first draft. That's your say, sweet spot is 420. Yeah, 420. And yeah. then I look, okay, now my 170, I have to go. Right. And it's usually once you get used to pruning your stuff, it's not all that tough. But until you do get used to it, oh, it's my th- I love that word. And it's, I love that word too, but mm-hmm. you only can have 250. Um, the, the hardest part in any of uh, a story at any length is getting out of it and, f- and figuring out an ending. And at 250 words, it, you know, it's even tougher. Beginning a story is totally simple. Um, I, here, start with a stack of books in front of us and you know, have it hit somebody in the head. Now we've got to be getting to a story. But then it's got to be about something. And that's the process for me. I almost never know what it's about. But yeah. then you, and so at 250 words or 50 words or 300, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. Okay, what am I writing about? All right, so yeah, you got to land the plane at some point, uh, and that's a, a very important part of the plane trip. All right, so we're going to take a little break here. When we come back, we'll have more of Tom Hazuka. You'll meet uh, Paul Beckman. You'll hear some of his flash fiction. You'll meet Rachel Fershleiser, the co-creator of the Six Word Memoir Project. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff, and it's all very short. So I pulled up some numbers here just to kind of give you some perspective. Um, Order of the Phoenix by J.K. Rowling is 257,154 words long. Uh, the Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, uh, 311,596 words. You'll never get that time back. Sorry about that. Um, one of the longest uh, books ever written is uh, by Leo Tolstoy. Uh, that's uh, War and Peace, 587,287 words. Although I don't know what we do with a Carl Ova Nesgard who's putting out a six-volume, 3,600-page uh, memoiristic novel or novelistic memoir or something. Uh, I don't know whether that's one book or not, but it may break the Tolstoy record. Uh, anyway, so that's to give you perspective on the people who are here in studio. They write wor- they write stories that are a hundred words or the or a tweet or six words or uh, four hundred and twenty words or five hundred words. Uh, and this is a, a I don't know if it's all one movement or a multi pronged phenomenon, but that's what we're talking about here today in this segment. Uh, Tom Hazuka. You already met him in the first segment. Teaches writing at Central Connecticut State University. Something of an expert on a lot of these forms. He's the editor of Flash Fiction Funny, 82 Very Short Humorous Stories. Paul Beckman, award-winning flash fiction writer and teacher from Madison. His most recent collection of stories is called Peak, P-E-E-K, and is out now. Uh, and joining us in just a second by phone, Rachel Fershleiser, co-creator of the Six Word Memoir Projects and co-editor of Not Quite What I Was Planning, Six Word Memoirs by famous by writers famous and obscure. So, you know, Paul, once again, just to kind of orient us, get us kind of a sense of what it is we're talking about, uh, read us a story. Okay, this one's called House Guest. Mirsky said that it was time for me to leave. I made believe that I hadn't heard him, and he made believe I had. So he went to the hall closet, got my backpack, and carried it over to the sofa, where I was now lying in a fetal position, facing inward, my ass hanging over. I stayed perfectly still, and he said that he'd mix us a goodbye drink, and what did I want? And when I didn't answer, he said, okay, a jack and soda coming up. And then I had a decision to make quickly, because I don't drink bourbon, and Murray knew it, and was for damn sure certain he'd bring one if I continued to play possum. I'd only been living on his couch for two weeks and don't know what precipitated getting tossed out, unless his grump of a wife held a grudge against me, but take control of the TV remote. 
But where I come from, it's the couch person who gets that privilege. Guest or no guest. And I had explained that to Elaine on more than one occasion. Hearing the sound of ice clinking in glasses, I grabbed my backpack and headed for the door, stopping only to snag the remote, which I tossed into the azalea bush before heading off to visit the next couch on my list. And that's it. Uh, that's uh, that's a, a story of probably what, about that's maybe 150 words, something like that. In that range? In that range, yeah. Um, so, um, Tom, maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about the the taxonomy of these stories. I mean, we've already talked about sort of all these various classifications, but is there something that ties together the efforts of all these writers, writers uh, uh, like Paul, uh, some kind of common instinct? There might be. I I don't truly share that instinct because I write long stuff too, mm-hmm. uh, though I'm I, if I'm known for anything, I'm known known for these, and I love them. Um, I, Paul might actually be better at asking, uh, answering that <laughs> question than I am, because he's he's really immersed in just in this world, as far as I can tell. Yeah, Paul, why, um, why work in this particular form? Is there any part of you that wants to write an 800-page uh, Donna Tart Goldfinch novel? Actually, there's no part of me that does. Um, I've written longer stories. I for a long time my my range was in the. 1,800 to 2,200 word range, and I've morphed down to um, almost totally flash fiction now. Um, And when you were talking about a 140-word story before, Mm -hmm. um, it's it's harder to write a 140-word story than it is a a 500 or 600-word story. And um, very often I'll have people... uh, or if I've taken a course, to write a 500-word story and then cut it in half. Um, and it's a matter of, of people learning how to get rid of adverbs and most adjectives, most descriptives, and, and getting to the meat of the matter. And uh, there's a saying that you get into the story early and um, or get into the story late in the story and get out early. And... Uh, that's the best flash fiction. Uh, as we go along here, if people have questions or comments, give us a call at 860-275-7266. That's 860-275-7266. You may also tweet at us, at WNPR Colin. I'm told there actually are a lot of people who have been tweeting us <laughs> stories and have been even before I suggested that they do that. So at some point uh, towards the end of the show, we'll uh, pick at least one of these uh, tweeted short stories and we will read it uh, and you'll have that much more fame and immortality. Uh, but right now, uh, we want to talk to yet another guest here, uh, another par- another prong on the fork uh, of this movement of micro-literature. That's Rachel Fershleiser, co-creator of the Six Word Memoir Projects and the co-author of Not Quite What I Was Planning, Six Word Memoirs by Writers Famous and Obscure. Welcome to this conversation. Thanks for having me. So the six-word memoir, I don't know if it if it has its origin here, but, I mean, it's not a memoir, but there's this famous thing that's attributed to Hemingway, right, that's, that's six words long and is supposedly not a memoir uh, but a right. novel. It, it was supposed to be uh, the six-word novel by Ernest Hemingway, and it's probably apocryphal, but a lot of people know this story that he called it his greatest work, um, and that was For Sale, Baby Shoes, Never Worn. So did um, did that get you thinking about the six word limit? Was that any part of the trigger, or did you come up yeah, with? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was kind of the inspiration. Um, 
and I was working with a guy named Larry Smith who had a website called Smith Magazine that was all about personal storytelling. Um, you know, as everyone was starting to have blogs and the beginnings of social media and the memoir glut and reality television, and it just really felt like this exhibitionistic, voyeuristic time where people were feeling confessional. And so we sort of said, what if we took this classical form and, and turned it inward and made it really something that you use to express your own life? And, and it's, uh, it seems to be, to, to be running on a, on a rail next to the incredible explosion in memoirs themselves. I mean, starting in the 1990s or so, uh, everybody had a memoir. Some of them were true, some of them weren't, but uh, <laughs> there, there was this, this tremendous interest in, in people. Just, just I mean, I, I have to pause and say that I participated in this myself. I published a, a memoir in the beginning and in the early 2000s. Uh, so a lot of people were doing this. And I don't know, was there a particular kind of thinking that you were doing about this? I mean, was it sort of cut the crap? You know, here's what your real story is? Well, I think it, it to some extent. I think what happened was the more people were writing memoirs, the more people felt like they should or wanted to. And we all know someone or maybe many, many people who say, oh, someday I'm going to write a book about my life. Or everyone tells me I got to write a book. I got the craziest stories. And especially, you know, your grandma or um, someone who's had an incredible amount of life experience, but not a lot of writing experience. And, and the truth is not everyone should write a book <laughs> and not everyone is ever going to. And so I think that to some extent we were like, yeah, let's lower the bar. Let's lower the, the barrier to entry because everyone has a story to tell and might not have the time or resources or skills to write it in 100,000 words, here's a simple way to get started. Right. And, you know, um, Tom Hazuka, just to, to that point, one thing that we do know is that people have these, I mean, publishers have these notions of form. Whether they ever say it or not, they have an idea of, like, how long a memoir is. You know, I right. mean, and, and it's, 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 it's somewhere in some kind of ballpark. I can tell you that when I handed in my first memoir to Warner, the first draft of my memoir to Warner Books, I think it was 44,000 words. And it felt, I knew they thought it was short. Right. They're, and right. I'm, so I'm going to ask Tom that, you know, that's sort of a weird thing that anybody has any idea how long a particular form is. Yeah. Well, we felt it out. I mean, when sudden fiction came out, as I said before, it was just, oh, something. They're short. They weren't really thinking numbers. And then it got codified into the, oh, well, there's a flash versus sudden. And I mean, there there are lots of places to publish. Um, I mean, without the Internet, I don't think this flash fiction phenomenon would be one Two hundredth of what it is now, because mo most of it's not on on paper, um, without yeah, that's doubt. A great point, I agree. And yeah. it, it just isn't. I mean, sometimes, yeah, sure, some of the, the best ones come out in books later on, and, and that sort of thing. But I mean, I'm going to be interested. I'm, I want to see who the first uh, Flannery O'Connor um, short story winner is with all flash fiction, <laughs> or if that will ever happen. Um, so, uh, Rachel, give us uh, a couple of memoirs here. Uh, read a, I mean, it's not often that you can say in the context of, of a talk radio show, read us a couple of memoirs. <laughs> um, one of my favorite is uh, Followed White Rabbit, Became Black Sheep. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Uh, lived Like No Tomorrow, Tomorrow Came. <laughs> give us one more. Uh, These are great. They're addictive. Uh, here's George Saunders, who's you know, a master of the short story form, right. um, gave us the six-word memoir, started small, grew, peaked, shrunk, vanished. 
<laughs> right. Uh, these are they're like Pringles. I mean, you eat one and you you, you keep eating them. There's just uh, something yeah. very addictive about this. And you know, I would I would think Rachel, not that you have necessarily fra- ever framed it this way, but this is both an opportunity to com- commit an act of literature and a com- uh, commit an act of of self examination. If you can figure out what your story is in six words, you've done you've done some kind of self analysis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people are using that in that way as well. People are using them as a tool for conversation starting and connection. People told us that, you know, at the dinner table, they asked their kids how's school and they said, move fine. And then they'd say, tell me a six word memoir about your day. Um, Or people are using them in support groups in AA and churches and synagogues. I mean, I think just giving people a structure to share something about themselves instead of feeling like they have to choose from their entire breadth of experience. Um, is a really good way to get somebody talking about the things that really matter to them. Do you ever uh, edit? Do you ever say, "Well, I mean, you know, see if you can see if you can work on that fifth word there"? <laughs> <laughs> Mostly not. And we were, we were pretty relaxed about punctuation and compound words and hyphenates and that kind of stuff. Uh, not everyone agreed with that. We got into some very uh, heated conversations about semicolons. But um, I think that. One thing I have gotten really good at is figuring out how to get any idea into six words. Mm -hmm. So uh, someone might say, like, well, I want to write something about this, but, you know, it's too long. And I'd be like, no, no, it's not too long. We can do this. (laughs) Always counting on our fingers. And and so, I mean, I assume uh, you're uh, a popular person at dinner parties, right? I mean, uh, if you're just all sitting there, I mean, do people just start doing that with their lives? Yeah, I think so. Or people will shoot me emails and make sure the subject line is six words or something. It's become a a little bit of a hobby. Um, I also like to bring them to dinner parties, the books. You know, it's like 12 bucks. It's like a bottle of wine and it gets everybody talking. And so are there there then to be more of these, uh, more uh, sequels to Not Quite What I Was Planning? Well, so right now um, there are there's the original book. There's a book specifically on love and heartbreak. There's mm-hmm. a book all written by teens, including Taylor Swift when she was a teen. I'm pretty proud of that one. Yeah. Um, more, more recently, there was a book of six word advice. <laughs> um, and you can always go to sixwordmemoirs.com and share your own six word memoirs. Participate in weekly contests. There's a six words Twitter account. I mean, I really agree. It is it's the technological tools that gives us the opportunity to share these both in physical books, but also all the time in this sort of communal online space of storytelling. All right. Well, uh, wow. It just sounds like a a cottage industry. Uh, And uh, I'm sure there is more to come. So, Rachel Fertilizer, thanks so much for joining us for this part of the show. We're going to have more uh, more of everything. We're going to have some more flash fiction. We do have a lot of or of Twiktions, Twitter fictions coming in that we'll read. Uh, we'll have more from Paul. Uh, you'll meet another flash fiction writer. Why don't we grab a break right now? We'll be back. Why I miss her so To make a long story short She's gone Josh and I produced, Greg tweeted and acted, Lydia talked, aliens killed interns, Bill Curry exists, WNPR.org, tomorrow's the nose. Back to Colin. <laughs> All right. We felt like we should stay uh, pretty true to the form. We do have a lot of uh, twitching coming in. I will try to read some of it. Uh, well, here's uh, Molly has been sending us a lot. Molly D'Andrea. Uh, and as she held on to him, seizure through seizure, Victoria felt her word, world shatter in earthquakes. Uh, Tim Stevens writes, a thin hiss of air escaped his lips, chasing a soul long since departed. Then 
Silence like water filled the room. So these are all fictions uh, coming across across the transom. Uh, Tom Hazuko, one of our guests here today, you're working right now on a compilation of seven mm-hmm. to thirteen word love stories. I, I'm going to read a few of them. Uh, they're by writers well known to us. Um, uh, the first one is by our friend Steve Allman. She digs TV and calls me her boy. Goodbye. Um, here's Catherine Weber, <laughs> Weber, who I believe <clears throat> lives here in Connecticut. I was 17. You were 35. Now you're 70. And she's 17? Um, and an uh, old friend of mine, Ron Carlson, used to live up in Lakeville. Yes, I burned all my bridges, but you never thought I'd swim across. And lastly, but from Chris Mazza, he loves me lavishly like a dog. Unfortunately, he is a dog. Um, so tell me about this project, Tom. I mean, what's, what's the genesis, uh, and, uh, and how are you putting it together? This was uh, Mark Budman's idea, and I immediately signed on. I did a book with Mark called, um, what did we call that? Um, you Have Time for This. And I thought it was a brilliant idea. I thought it was really funny and really fun, so we really liked it. The only, the only negative to the project so far is that we haven't found a publisher. Um, by the way, I, sh- I should have said, so these are 7 to 13 word stories. Uh, and, um, I mean, th- these word limits are fascinating. I didn't, I'm just noticing this that I forget to ask Rachel about this. We're going to be talking tomorrow on the show about commencement addresses and particularly David Foster Wallace's famous uh, commencement address and what I regard as the greatest commencement address, address ever, which is Ralph Waldo Emerson's uh, address to the Harvard Divinity School, which had a six-person class. It wasn't a six-word graduation speech. It was uh, <laughs> 7,600, 7,800 w- words long. But the idea of the six-word graduation speech is probably very appealing to people who are going to be sitting in their sweaty uh, commencement mm-hmm. uh, gowns right now. But it is – so uh, w- when you reach out to writers like this, I mean, I, I would imagine – I mean, what writer doesn't want to try this, right? It must be pretty easy to talk people into this. Oh, it is. Um, I usually get in touch with people, and if, if they say – a few people have ter- turned me down. I mean, uh, Tom Parada just said, I've never written anything under 5,000 words in my life. I, I can't. I, I can't do it. Uh, most people will get back to me uh, within a few hours with uh, you know five of them. Mm-hmm. You know they said, "What do you think of these?" <laughs> and they're always from good writers. And I always said, "These are really good. We we we're not taking more than two from anybody, but we'll take these two. Uh, um, all right. So uh, so yeah, that's that's what you call curation. Uh, we're talking about very short uh, kinds of literature. We have a lot of practitioners of it uh, among us. Uh, we've got to add one more voice to this conversation. We're going to hear one more story from Paul, I think. But we also want to hear from Meg Pokris, a flash fiction author and competition judge. Her newest collection, The Dog Looks Happy Upside Down, is out uh, in June. Hi, Meg. You're on the air with us. Hi, how are you? Good. So, um, first of all, uh, so you're a, you're a judge of, of flash fiction as well, as well as a committer yeah, of it? Yeah, I've, I've been asked to judge a number of contests recently, and that's been a lot of fun because I love the form. I've been writing it for quite a while, and it's a great it's a great feeling to be able to, to judge it and read a lot of you know new flash fiction that's out there. Um, so when you judge, I don't know, are, are you applying just the same set of standards that anyone would would apply to a, a piece of longer short fiction or is there kind of uh, a specific form that you're looking for are there uh, are there aesthetics that go specifically with this genre unfortunately the author has to grab you very fast i would say within the first sentence it you have to be grabbed otherwise it just it can't it can't be selected um flash is so small that it just every word counts every sentence counts and especially you have to hook the the reader in on the very first sentence 
it's unfortunate because sometimes a piece will get better later, but it, it can't usually win a competition. Um, the, the qualities that I usually look for, the ones that I love anyway, are intensity, uh, tragic urgency or comic urgency, often both. Uh, the funny, sad pieces are the best. Someone often wants something, you know, love, health, being understood, and it's the struggle that's interesting, if that makes any sense. It makes uh, total sense. A lot of this could be applied, though, to, I mean, any kind of good fiction should grab you in the first sentence. I agree. Any kind I of, agree. It is a universal, yeah, yeah a very good trait for, for uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to ask you to read uh, one of your pieces. You've got uh, f- uh, fiction that's 140 words and 87 words. Yeah. Uh, p- pick something and read it to us. Okay. This one's called The Landlord, and it's 142 words. I smooth my hair, lean my cheek against the wall to chill. He wrote a note next to the emergency numbers, used the clown magnet, stuck it on the fridge. It said, for crying out loud, he's letting me live here cheap, letting me use his car, his CD player, his lotions. It's time. Says he's falling for me, even though I'm a walking disaster. Those words. I walk out of the bedroom. I rent from him. I pay on time. He's lying on the sofa, bare feet hinged over the arm. A dish of cocaine and guest spoons dainty on the coffee table near the fruit bowl. I bend down to tie my shoes, say, Hey, turn on the jacuzzi. I'll just run out for cigarettes. He slices a sleepy bear smile my way. My mouth stretches sideways and upward like a circus trick. I feel as though this person knows the person in Paul Beckman's uh, house guest uh, flash fiction story. <laughs> Maybe there's a place yeah. out there on the landscape where all these people uh, who are in these stories meet and exchange very quick confidences mm-hmm. with one another before running back. Um, do you, Mike, uh, do you have thoughts, Meg, about where where the, I mean, this forum seems to be flourishing so much. Um, we had no trouble finding people uh, practicing uh, flash fiction, whether it was 13 <laughs> words or 42 words or 250 words. Do you have thoughts about what's going on here? Well, I do think it's the Internet. I mean, uh, in terms of the proliferation and how quickly it's growing, exploding, really, at least in the United States um, these days. Um, Yeah, and certainly, you know, the gadgets. I hate to say gadgets because it doesn't sound very literary, but I think the fact that people can read it on the way to work or, you know, when they're stuck in line at the bank, it's like uh, it's instant intellectual food, you know. Um, that's, That's my Anyway, I, I mean, also the, the um, explosion of online literary magazines. I mean, the first year I was writing Flash, and that was seven years ago, um, I had 75 stories accepted that year. And there weren't even that many magazines then. And now there are like, I don't know, I'm guessing a thousand Flash fiction magazines online. But that's just a guess. I don't really know. But it's just there are just so many. It it really is. This is it must be painful to people who are sitting there uh, working on uh, novels that are taking seven years to complete. That you have yeah. seventy five uh, stories completed uh, somewhere. Um, Tom, I'm just going to turn to you for a second. I do feel as though there's a weird kind of push and pull that's going on here right now. That in some ways, I think this is this genre or these genres are arising from a climate in which people are just bombarded with content. There's so much content uh, that maybe they, it's difficult for them to commit to something that's longer than this. I mean, you know. 
know, if you, you could just read Reddit all day long and, and your day would be over and you wouldn't have stopped reading Reddit. Uh, Reddit has so much content all by itself. It has its own TL semicolon DR uh, segment for people who think Reddit is too long. You know? <laughs> so, so, so there's sort of that. But and, and I'm thinking maybe the, that and this, they all kind of belong together. But we also still have a hunger. These 900-page novels are not going away. People want to do that, too. Oh, I sure hope they're not going away. I mean, it's the old, uh, I'm going to throw out a cliche here and hope my students aren't listening or that don't throw <laughs> stuff at me. You know, the variety is the spice of life thing. I mean, I, I want there to be 1,200-page stories. I don't want there to be 12-word stories. Um, I certainly don't read all flash fiction. I just read the Studs Lonigan trilogy again. It was a really good experience. And so, yeah, there's room for everything. I want, to, I want to hear a little bit more flash fiction as we go along here. So, um, Paul Beckman, uh, give me uh, another one of your, uh, your shorter pieces. Okay, this is a 180-word story. You may now kiss the bride. My new bride and I stood in the short receiving line in her parents' living room while well-wishers lined up to say their congratulations. I'm Elaine's Uncle Phil, Uncle Phil said, and squeezed my hand hard instead of shaking it. I winced. I winced again when he patted my cheek a little too hard and said, You be good to my favorite niece, or you'll have me to answer to. I nodded my acquiescence as he moved down the line to Elaine. Mazel tov, honey, he said, and handed her an envelope. She smiled, and he bent over and kissed her on the mouth. And just before their lips touched, I saw his long, thick, purple, veined, spittled, ugly Uncle Tongue coming out. Don't invite him for dinner, I whispered in her ear as he moved down the reception line. Just before he went to kiss my mother-in-law, she bent her head and began coughing. She covered her mouth with one hand while waving her brother to move down the line with the other. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and Meg, as he's reading that, I'm thinking, you know, it, I guess everything's relative. I mean, Tom Hazuka yeah. was reading 7 to 13 word stories. Uh, you've got uh, an 87 word story. Somehow are there 180 words. It feels like Paul's got plenty of room to stretch out there. Yeah, yeah, true. Definitely. Um, do you want to share one with us? I know you've got one that's uh, uh, somewhere in the 80s. Yeah, this one um, is 87 words, and it's called The Call. There's a hum of electricity before the ring. Mimics birds, cheap clocks, Buddhist meetings. It's summer. I'm sleepwalking, holding his number like a straight or flush. The thought like a slap. He's really leaving this time, tells me and his secretary, Jen, in a whisper with scallion and coffee breath near the empty creamer. Jen's lazy eye wanders toward me and away. I cradle the phone, finger his odd numbers, the seven, the five, as if my forefinger could do this and I would not have to watch. Um, uh, that's Meg Pokras reading uh, one of her short stories. So Tom Hazuka, I'm going to read a couple of things uh, coming over the, the Twitter transom, but, you know, I keep coming back to, so this year I did read A Little Life, which was one of the most uh, acclaimed novels of last year. I was on the short list for a lot of the big prizes. It's 800 words. Uh, I guarantee you that any one of your students could have cut 200 words out of that novel and, and not heard it. You could have cut 300 words out of that novel and not heard it. Um, in some ways, listening to Meg read, I'm realizing writing is, is it's a lot 
lot of different things, but one thing it is is choosing words. If you're going to choose, if you're going to write 87 words, you're going to choose all 87 of them. And that's maybe what every writer should do anyway. Oh, without doubt. That's one thing we talk about over and over. There's a decision to be made on every single word. And then there's got to be decisions made on every one of those words you put down originally to see if they're the ones that are going to stay. And by the way, hi, Meg. Um, that, you're, the story you just read could have been broken into lines. It would have been a great poem. Yeah. Yeah, I started as a poet. I mean, I was a poet originally, and that's why I think Flash really works for me, microfiction. Yeah. So coming over, uh, The Transom, uh, Red Menace, I think this is uh, more of a six-word memoir. Born, oops, uh, it's flipping around here. Uh, born crippled, abused by drunkard, unsinkable. Um, and we've got, I think Molly's uh, has some things coming out of a classroom where she's uh, teaching right now. Uh, 20 years after the bullet hit him, he finally heard the gunshot. Uh, I think that's uh, from one of her uh, students. Uh, and so, uh, so, so people are doing this. I, there is something, once again, Tom, it, it's that on-ramp thing, right? Once you see that people can do this, you realize that, yeah, maybe, maybe you just don't have it. it it's kind of like what Rachel was saying. Everybody comes up to me, too, and says, you know, I've got a great story to tell. I just don't have the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, guess what? You do. You have the time to start. And, um, and I think one of the great things about this is that you, you just don't self-censor at first. You shouldn't self-censor as a writer at first at all, period. But, hey, it's only 200 words or it's only 800 words or sorry, or 80 words, what have you. I can, I can do that. And I'm, I'm not likely to have the little voice on my shoulder saying, you're a complete hack. You're terrible. Why are you bothering? Um, well, it's, uh, this has been a great show. Um, and uh, I should say at WNPR.org, we're going to have a show page up that will direct you to the work of all these writers and all the stuff that we're talking about and the websites that, that contain some of these stories and places where you can uh, get the stories in more published forms. Thanks to Ben White. T- thanks to Tom Hazuka. Thanks to Rachel uh, Herschleiser. Uh, thanks to Meg Pokris. Thanks to Paul Beckman. Especially thanks to Josh Nalea. Did I skip anybody? To Josh Nalea, who came up with the show. Uh, and we'll be back tomorrow with The Nose. story short long story short show over Damn, that was two words i should have just gone with end or over should it be end or should it be over oh end one syllable